It's good to see everybody this morning. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, it's awful good to be with you this morning. I'm glad to be sitting next to you. <laughs> Amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and get right into the Word. Um, I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. And uh, like, like Matt said so eloquently on that uh, video there be sure and be be here tonight at the, the worship night it's going to be a great time amen so first peter chapter 1 verse 10 through 16 i want to just preach a message to you this morning called grace revealed but here's what it says in first peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 10 it says of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we're just so grateful for your word. And we're grateful, God, just like Anthony said this morning, that you are always present. Lord, you promised to never leave us nor forsake us, but there are those moments when we need to feel your nearness and we need to take those moments to pause. And Lord, we need to find those rhythms of grace, God. We need to find those rhythms of life where our hearts are constantly turned to you. And Lord, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to reveal the grace of God to us. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for this, for this salvation. And so we just ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come this morning and by your word, you would reveal Jesus to us in a fresh way and we would be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you know, when we, uh, when we talk about Christianity, and I, th I think this is a thing that, that I didn't really fully understand growing up. Anytime I was around in church, I don't know if it, just, if it wasn't communicated. Most likely, I wasn't paying attention. But when we talk about Christianity, what we're not talking about is simply a set of rules where you're trying to be a better person. Christianity is about a, a relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ in which he transforms who you are. You become more like the God that you're building a relationship with. But sometimes we get it twisted, we get it mixed up, and we believe that it is about our behavior and our conduct and trying to earn something before God. And most people, if they judge them, their own selves, they think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I've not killed anybody, I've not murdered anybody recently, and overall, I'm a pretty good person. But if you, if you look at Scripture, God laid things out in a very specific way. Matter of fact, in John chapter 1, He's laying out Jesus Christ coming in the flesh he says the word was there in the beginning with God but this word came among us and he dwelt among us and he took on flesh and he said we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten son of God who is full of grace and truth 
He said, we, we all received his fullness, grace upon grace. And then he makes this statement and he says, because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up, he is God fully revealed. John goes on in the same chapter to say, look, no man has seen God at any time. And when he says that, I'm thinking, no, but didn't all the guys know they saw God? Like Elijah had, a, had, a, had an encounter with God. Moses had an encounter with God. They had glimpses of God. Moses saw the back parts of God. He saw a partial revelation of God. But God says, when you see Jesus, you see the entire glory. You see the full revelation of my nature. This is who I am. He has revealed God to us. But see, there was a process of getting to this grace, and I think this is something that people misunderstand because a lot of people in today's world and even in the church today, they want to throw out the Old Testament and say, well, we don't deal with that anymore. No, if you don't go through the Old Testament, you never get to the grace of Jesus Christ in the New. And so, so you want to be leery about people who just say we're going to toss that out because the law came through Moses and it came for a purpose. Because without law there is no knowledge of sin. Unless you understand that you have broken the law and you are a sinner before God, you never realize that you need a Savior and you will never experience grace as God designed you to experience grace. There has to be an acknowledging of our brokenness, an understanding of the fact that we cannot earn our salvation, that we're not good. Most people will say, you know, I think a country music guy said, I believe most people are good. Well, guess what? You know what? Most people, you see some good in them, but the Bible teaches emphatically that there is none good, no, not one. There's one good, and he's, and he's God. God in the flesh. And he came to save us who were broken. And that's what the grace of God is all about. And so when he came, he came to reveal what grace truly is. And I, I remember personally trying so hard. How many of you, do, you ever put out a real good effort? Like you read the Bible, you realize, man, I'm struggling. I'm a sinner. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe my eternal destiny is really at stake. And then you put out a valiant effort to change the way you behave. Anybody ever done that? I've tried, you know what I'm saying? And what I, here's what I came to realize about the grace of God is it's not simply even the mercy of God. Because the mercy of God, it covers my sin. God's mercy is the fact that He doesn't give me the punishment that I deserve. But God's grace is that He does give me the power and the gift of Himself that I didn't deserve. So grace is God giving me something. Mercy is God withholding something from me. Amen. What I deserve is death. What I deserve is punishment. But God in His grace sent Jesus to take my place, to take my punishment so that now He could offer me the gift of Himself in the power of the Holy Spirit and transform my life and who I really am. And here's what I want to say is that you can try and you can try and you can try. And this is an ongoing revelation because I remember when I first got saved, I was trying so hard to quit sinning so that I could present something before God only to come to the end of myself and say, God, I cannot do this. And in that moment, the grace of God was unleashed in my life. The power of the Spirit was unleashed in my life when I came to the end of myself. And I had a full revelation in a sense. It, it was like, I, I don't know that we ever have a full revelation, but I had a revelation. The veil was taken off of my eyes and, and Jesus became real to me for the first time. And now it wasn't about me trying to be a better person to present my good works before God. It was about me falling in love with this one who created me, made me, and all of a sudden I realized how much he loves me and I want nothing more than to please him and live for him. 
Because I see how much he loves me. So it's not, here's the thing, you don't go out and do better. You don't not commit adultery because the preacher says, hey, don't commit adultery. You don't even don't lie because you know in the Ten Commandments it says don't bear false witness. No, something changes when you come to a real encounter with Jesus and you know him personally for yourself. Then you no longer begin to desire those things. And that's the grace of God working in your life. It's about a relationship. And here's what I want to say. When you encounter Jesus, it's always an encounter with the perfect balance of grace and truth, of compassion and conviction. Jesus said some hard stuff, man. He said some harder stuff than most preachers would ever dream about saying behind the pulpit. That's just the fact of the matter. But coupled with the conviction that he brought was a compassion that reached out to those sinners in their brokenness. Nobody did it like Jesus. He held grace and truth in a perfect balance unlike anybody else. And every time you encounter him, there's a deep conviction of sin, but there's also an overwhelming sense of his love and his compassion and his mercy for you that draws you out of that sin. And so this is the relationship that we're looking for, and we're always in need of a fresh revelation of Jesus. Would you agree with that? I feel like just this past week I, I, I was studying and the Lord and I, I was praying and the Lord just began to give me glimpses of Jesus in my heart and when I see those glimpses something happens on the inside of me. This is why Paul prayed. He said, I'm praying that you all would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You know that word revelation, it's, it's apocalypsis in the Greek. It's the word we get apocalypse from. You guys know apocalypse as everything on fire and the world coming to an end. But Greek language, when we talk about the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's not the book of revelations. It is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And literally the word apocalypse or revelation, it means to take off the cover, to unveil something that you could not see before. And what he's saying is that Jesus Christ is returning and he will be unveiled in his fullness. And for those of, who are following the Lamb into the New Jerusalem, they will be like him for they shall see him as he is there'll be a full revelation of Jesus for you at his return if you're in him now Amen. and that's a beautiful thing but here's what I need you to understand is that Paul is saying that not only will you have a full revelation then but you need to have an ever-increasing revelation right now of who Jesus is and that's how you will be transformed we are transformed by the Spirit of God as we behold Jesus Christ as we see him and you know where we see him first and foremost in the scripture. I don't get to just listen to music and have some sort of out-of-body experience. And, and, and No, I, I go to the Word of God. I see Jesus. And as I see Him, the Spirit of God is activating the grace of God in my life and transforming me into the same image. And so our Christian life, it begins with a revelation of Jesus, but it also cannot continue without a revelation of Jesus. And many people, and I think probably most of you in here that are saved, you might even agree with the fact that there was a time in your life when you first got saved, you saw Jesus. I remember when I first got saved, like I'd turn it on Christian TV, and they'd have like a terrible dressed up Jesus that don't even look like halfway real, and I would see that and start weeping. You know what I'm saying? Like you just get, because it's like, oh man, it's Jesus. And it just kills you because you had a fresh revelation of what he did for you on the cross. And then you grow and you get in church and you do stuff and, and, and you forget to pray and you let things slip and then all of a sudden you lose your revelation of Jesus and you slip into religious just sort of going through the motions and you burn out and you're wondering why you're even doing this thing and you're more tempted to go back to things than you've ever been before and what you need is a fresh unveiling of who Jesus is in your life. 
Not just who he was when you first got saved, but who he is right now in your life. And I want to say this, no matter where you are at in your life, Jesus is still the answer. I know, I know that people prefer really practical teaching and practical preaching. And they want you to give up and give you three steps. Well, you need to go out and do this, this, and this. If you don't have a takeaway point, it wasn't even good. I'm going to say that some of the best preaching has no takeaway points. Some of the best preaching leads you into an encounter with Jesus where you see him and behold him and you walk out with nothing to do except bask in his glory and how beautiful he is. Some of the best teaching and preaching just unveils the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Yes, there's times and moments that we need practical takeaway steps to implement into our lives. But the best stuff, the stuff that changes us is when we see Jesus. He's the one that this is all about. This is why we're Christians. There's many programs in every church. Many of them are good. But can I tell you that any program we have, if you enter into a small group this semester and it does not point you into a deeper direction and a deeper relationship with Jesus, it fails. You say, well, I got some good buddies. Thank God for good buddies. It fails if it does not reveal Jesus to you more and more. And you don't say, this is what we want, folks. We want a greater revelation of who Jesus is. And we need to experience his grace in going in this direction. In verse 10 of what I read, he said, of this salvation that we're talking about, Jesus taking our place so that we could inherit eternal life. But not only that, it's not just salvation. It's not just that I get to go to heaven when I die. It's that Jesus has come to put heaven in me in the here and now. He wants me to be transformed here so that his kingdom is revealed through my life. Thank God I get to go to heaven when I die. But he wants to do something in me in the here and now. And he says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. He's talking about all the prophets in the Old Testament. And he said, they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The grace that would come to you. I want you to understand this because Isaiah, he saw the cross in Isaiah 53 and 54 and he saw the after effects of it. If you look in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, he saw the new covenant. He said, you know, right now we're living in the old covenant, but a better covenant is coming because right now you're trying to keep the laws with all of your self-effort and present your good works before God to salvation, but you cannot save yourself. But the days are coming, says the Lord, when Jesus will come and he will take your place and he will keep the law flawlessly. And guess what? When he dies on the cross for your sin, taking your penalty, he will give you a new heart and a new mind and he will write the law of God in your heart and transform who you are from the inside out. They saw it and they longed for it. The entire Old Testament, whether you think there's some crazy stories in it or not, Jesus himself believed that it was the word of God and he said not one jot or tittle, if you will, will pass away until all is fulfilled because every single letter in the Old Covenant was pointing to him and saying he's coming. And this grace that he's going to release is coming to you. And I want to talk about grace for a minute. Grace defined. Because the short version of it is, is it's unmerited favor. It's something that you can't earn. You didn't deserve it. But it's given to you anyway. But here's a, a, a definition. It's a long one because I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of way. But grace is the undeserved, unearned favor and gift of God himself to us. And that comes through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit by which we receive new life, salvation, power, and righteousness. So 
When you understand that and you have this concept of grace, here's what I want you to understand. Grace doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything. Grace is actually not, not opposed to works. It's opposed to merit. Grace produces works in the believer. Grace produces works in a true believer. What it's opposed to is you actually thinking that somehow you can earn your salvation. That somehow you cannot depend on what Jesus did, not put your faith in what Jesus did, and somehow offer a good enough life so that God will give you salvation and eternal life. And he just isn't going to do it because he's given us one way. And it's through this man, Jesus Christ, who extends this grace to us. Grace empowers and fuels transformation and works. And that's very important to understand because mercy is one aspect of grace, but it's not the whole story. Like I said earlier, mercy does not give you the punishment that you deserve, but grace gives you the gift that you did not deserve. Amen. So grace is imparting something to you. It's imparting righteousness. It's imparting life. It's imparting the spirit. But mercy is withholding the punishment. And those two things work together, but we need to have a deeper understanding of mercy and a deeper understanding of grace. You remember the story in John chapter 8, right? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. The woman that was caught in adultery. According to the law of God, this woman was to be stoned. And all the religious leaders, they catch this woman in adultery. They throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they say, Hey, teacher, what do you say? The law commands us that such should be stoned. Moses said it. What do you say? He, he stoops down. He writes in the ground. I believe he's writing the law of God. I don't have proof, but I have some, some speculation that I make based on Scripture. I believe he's writing the law of God in the ground because... He, it, the law we know is written with the finger of God. He comes back up. They ask him again, hey, what do you say? The law demands that she be stoned. And he says, he who is without sin among you, cast the first stone. He's basically saying, I do not condemn you. That's mercy. He's saying, I'm not giving you what, what you actually do deserve is stoning. You deserve death. I'm giving you mercy and not stoning you. But guess what? They all leave convicted in their own consciences. And then Jesus reaches down with his hand and says, go and sin no more and pulls her up so mercy doesn't give her the punishment but grace takes her by the hand gives her an encounter with a living God where she looks Jesus in the eyes and he pulls her up and empowers her to now leave and go and sin no more Grace doesn't simply overlook, it empowers and the devil wants us to live under a small revelation of the grace of God he wants us to live under a small revelation. Let me give you a few false views of the grace of God. Number one, some people believe that grace is permission to live a defeated life. And sometimes when they talk about it, they'll be like, you know what? And, here, and, and I want to be honest with you. Everybody's got struggles. I got struggles. I talked to people this week. We were talking about our struggles. I talk about how sometimes mentally I got some issues, right? But the grace of God shows up and empowers me. The grace of God doesn't come and say to me, hey, you're always going to struggle. It's always going to be real hard here. You're probably never going to overcome it. You just need to keep on just getting whipped and running around like a defeated puppy all your life. No, the grace of God comes in and reminds you of who you are and strengthens you and picks you back up and says, put your eyes on Jesus. You are in the battle. You're in a fight, but I'm here with you and I will strengthen you and I will lift you up with my righteous right hand. It is not permission to live a defeated life or, or an excuse. Number two, grace, some people believe, is a license to sin, and it allows us to live immoral lives. Now, you'd be, actually be probably shocked at how many people 
really use the grace of God for such practices. And it was something that happened early in the church. It happened throughout church history. Jesus said he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They were people who used the grace of God to say, you know what, Jesus died for us, our sins are forgiven, you can do whatever you want to do now. Amen. And Jude spoke about this. In, in Jude verse 4, he says, For certain individuals, if you put that up, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. He said, Among the church, there's teachers that slip in among you. And he said, They're ungodly people. And what do they do? They pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. So what he's saying is you need to watch out because people will actually turn the grace of God into a license for you to live however you want. What we need to understand is that the law of God is still in place that leads you to the grace of God which transforms who you are so that you no longer live in a moral life. does not mean that you do not struggle, but somebody that has been saved by the grace of God is a transformed human being. And when they do struggle, they're willing to come and confess it and say, I need help, I need prayer, brother. I'm struggling, I'm weak, and I need the grace of God, and I need you to help me along this journey. Because we're all going to have those difficulties, but we should never use grace as an excuse or a license for immorality in our lives. Now, other people will say, well, since some people do that, grace is dangerous. We shouldn't talk about it. We should just put hard burdens on people and preach to people as hard as we can and make them feel like they're always teetering right on the edge of hell. Anybody amen, right? That's just good preaching, brother. You had everybody scared thinking they was going to go to hell this morning. Praise God. And, and, and my point is, if you are a believer in Christ, you should not constantly be afraid of, of, of losing your salvation every time you make a slip and every time you fall. You shouldn't be in that kind of fear. You should be reminded of the power of God that lives within you, the Christ that lives within you, the Spirit of God that dwells within you, and the grace of God that is available no matter the mistake that you have made to pick you up in your darkness right where you're at. You need to be reminded of those things. Grace is not dangerous. Grace is the very life-giving power of God. That's what it is. And He loves us so much that we didn't deserve it that He chose to give it to us. But I want to say this to you. Grace is not about behavior modification, but heart transformation. Because here's the thing. If you get religious... And you just come into church and you say, well, I'm going to try to quit doing this or I'm going to try to quit doing that. So many people say, you invite them to church. Their, their number one argument, I need to get some things lined out. I need to modify my behaviors before I start coming to church. No, you need to come to church with your nasty behaviors. And you need to worship God and submit to Him and develop a prayer life and start reading the Word. And as you develop a relationship with Jesus, you won't be, be changing your behaviors from the outside. He'll be changing who you are from the inside. And you'll wake up one morning just because you've been hanging out with Jesus and the people of God so long. And you'll say, you know what? That thing that I used to like, I don't like anymore. You know what's happening? The grace of God is being activated in your life. It's at work in your life. The power of God is at work in your life. And see, that's the truth that in spite of how messed up we are, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our flaws, the grace of God means that Jesus comes down to the pit to meet us where we're at and say, I love you so much that I will not sit by and let you stay where you are. I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to remind you how much that I love you. 
I'm going to bring you into a relationship with me where I speak to you daily through my word. You're going to develop a prayer life. You're going to have a hunger for prayer. All of a sudden, there's going to be something on the inside of your heart where you want to actually be at church on Sunday. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. Like I, I, woke up, I want to be there. It's not an obligation. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to experience it. And as he's bringing us into this, something begins to change. We begin to grow. And the grace of God is at work in our lives. I love what Titus 2, 11 and 12 says. These are some of my favorite verses. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Here's what he's saying. The grace of God that brings salvation, it's appeared to all in Jesus Christ. And here's what the grace of God does. The grace of God teaches you something. The grace of God doesn't say, ah, we covered that, don't worry about it, live however you want to. No, it doesn't say that. The grace of God comes into your life and begins to teach you how to deny ungodly practices and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in a present world that has lost its ever-loving mind. The grace of God changes you so that you walk in a different direction than the world. It doesn't cover you so you can keep walking with the world. It brings you out of it so that you can shine a light in the darkness of the world. And in Romans 5.20, here's what he says. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And do you know that most people especially, people say, Well, thank God we're not under the law anymore. I agree. We're not under a covenant in which I have to do good works in order to earn my salvation. I do good works from my salvation. I thank God for that. I thank God that Jesus paid the price for me so that I don't have to earn being saved. My church attendance won't save me. My prayer life won't save me. Me helping an old lady across the road won't save me. My tithing offering won't save me. None of those things will save me. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will save me and give me new life and give me a new heart. And a new, but guess what? When he gets in my heart, all of those other things start to come out of me naturally. And so we can't deny the one without the other. But the law came, why? That the offense might abound. Why would you want the offense to abound? Because most people live their lives believing, just like me when I grew up, everybody in Clay County, they're already saved. Anybody amen me this morning? Y'all know you ask anybody. I went into a house one time. This is a little bit too much, but I'm going with it. It came to me. I went into a house one time where it was legitimately some men. I went in there to share the gospel with them. They were shooting up heroin in this house. I shared the gospel with them, and the guy told me, well, I'm saved, buddy. I got saved when I was 12 years old. Talk to me about this for a minute. How is it that somehow we've overlooked the law of God to the degree that we believe that just because we had a transactional prayer when we were 12 years old, that salvation is actually happening in our lives? This is a deception, y'all. This isn't the grace of God. This isn't the true grace of God. And if we're going to reveal the grace of God, what we need to understand is that the law came that the offense might abound. That man needs to realize, no, sir, whatever you think you had in that transactional prayer was not true salvation. For if it was true, you would be living differently right now. You have broken the law of God. You are in need of a Savior. You need to turn to Jesus. Some people say, well, that's just hateful, Clay. That's strong. People won't receive that. If they don't receive that, they're not receiving the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Amen. Moreover, the law that entered the defense might abound, but where sin abounded, watch this, 
grace abounded much more. The word there is a big, cool Greek word that you all love. I, you know, I, sometimes I don't use Greek words, and you're like, Clay, give us the Greek. <laughs> you're really not. <laughs> and this, this word is uh, that word there. And it, Hooper Parisio, they'll think we're speaking in tongues again this morning. Hyper superabound. Where sin abounded, grace hyper superabounded. What he's saying is that no matter how much sin got a hold of your life and took you down into darknesses of, uh, of shame and pain and rejection and bondage and addiction that you never dreamed you could get into, and you think, well, God could never forgive me. God could never reach down into this and save me. He's saying not only will he reach down into it and forgive you, he'll pull you out of it, break it off of your life, and use what was once your weakness as one of your empowerments to now reach the world for Jesus himself. He says wherever sin abounded, the grace of Jesus Christ will superabound. It'll swallow it up to change who you were. There was an old clay that some of you all knew and now by the grace of God there's a new one. Amen. And God does this in our lives. He says in Ephesians 2, 5-7, through 7, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says look he raised you up from the dead when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And he has raised you up and seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your current identity. That's your current location. You're not a citizen of this earth. You are a citizen of heaven. You have eternal life. You're going to inherit all things one day when Jesus returns. And what he's saying is that he did this in our lives. Why? So that in the ages to come, you're talking about there's no concept of time. Year after year, you'd have no less days to sing God's praise than when you'd first begun. No less days. Year after year, 10,000 years in, still got as much time as you had in the beginning. And he says that entire time, he wants to show you the exceeding riches of his grace. The word there is hyperbolo. It's the word we get hyperbole from. And a hyperbole is an extreme exaggeration. I don't know if you realize that or not. He's saying how, however far you think it could go, it goes well beyond that. You cannot imagine the things that God has prepared for you in his grace and his kindness and the riches of it toward you in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Those who receive an abundance of grace... Now he said, Adam came in and death came in over all of us. The law of sin and death was working in every single one of us. But for those of us who receive Christ, he says there's something that happens and we come into this position where we can receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And what will we do? We will reign in life, in marriage, in relationships, in parenting, over sin, over bondage, over all these things. You step into a place where you say, no, guess what? I'm put back into original design. I'm now to take dominion and authority over this earth and the things that are in it. And yet there are battles. There's demonic. There's casualties. There's death and there's loss that still works in this, in, in this broken world. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm going to overcome every single bit of it through the blood of the Lamb and through Jesus Christ. And one day I'm going to live eternally. But here's what I want you to understand. 
We receive grace through faith for justification. When you hear the gospel preach, you're convicted of your sin. You say, I need a Savior. There's faith generated in your heart by the Spirit, and you respond in faith. Guess what? You receive the free gift of righteousness. You say, well, I ain't done nothing yet to be called righteous. Jesus did everything you'd ever need to do on the cross so that you could receive this free gift of Him calling you the righteousness of God in Christ. Day one, when you start, you stand righteous before God. He says, I want you to receive that, and I want you to receive the grace of God through faith that justifies you and declares you innocent, not guilty, forgiven, an inheritor of eternal life. But then... I want you to move on and continue to receive. If you got saved 20 years ago, you still need to receive an abundance of the grace of God. Because we move past justifying grace into sanctifying grace that transforms us. And we grow in this sanctifying grace of God so that we're continually changed by this grace. And God makes us into the very image of His own Son. If you read in the Old Testament, all of the Jewish children, they knew about favor. They knew about grace. It was a very specific word in the Old Covenant. And if you look, it's very interesting. You know, five is the number of grace. And a lot of times, whenever you look at some of the names, like Noah, when his name is mentioned the fifth time, it says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Esther, when her name is mentioned the fifth time, it says she found favor in the sight of the king. Right? And so grace was at work all of that time, that favor, the favor of God that was on their lives. But notice this, because Joseph, it says that God gave him favor in Potiphar's sight and in the sight of the prison keeper, and the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, he made him prosper because that favor was on his life. But what did that favor do? Because in America, we can tend to think that the favor of God just makes sure that we're rich and wealthy and fat and happy. The favor of God does not give you what you want. The favor of God unlocks the power of God in your life so that you can give God fully what He wants, which is your entire life. He wants you to serve Him and He wants you to glorify your name. Joseph was given favor, but he went to prison for many years. But guess what? That favor stayed on his life. He prospered. He was put in second command, not just so that he could be rich, but so that all of the world could be saved because he had a vision from God. Noah was the same way. Judgment was coming on the earth. Noah found what? She, he found favor with God and he built an ark of safety so that the world could continue. It was always for God's purposes. Esther, the same way. She obtained favor and she won a beauty contest, praise God. She called a fast and she kept the nation of Israel from being exterminated. The favor of God will serve God's purposes through your life. And I ain't saying that the favor of God every now and then won't get you the job that you want. But I'm going to tell you something. That ain't why we're in this thing, y'all. You realize what I'm saying? Sometimes God's going to say no to some things that you really want. Why? Because he's working his purposes toward an ultimate end. And he wants us to surrender, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And if we do that, there's an abundance of grace available. And John Wesley said it like this. He said, we're on this journey of grace. That I'm justified the moment I believe and I'm saved. But I continue in sanctifying grace and I'm transformed through the means of grace by which I receive an abundance of grace 
And the means are, guess what? Every time I worship God on a Sunday morning, there's grace that's coming to me. Every time I kneel down at my bed to pray, there's grace that's coming to me. Every time I crack open my Bible and begin to read and let it speak to my heart, there's grace that is coming to me. When I go out of my way to help a stranger or give to somebody generously without them knowing, there's grace that is flowing to me. When all of these practices of the Christian life are at work in my life, the grace of God is flowing in me to make me more like Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. There's three words for receive. I've given you this before, but you need to understand this, right? Man, we, we might as well just crack open a Greek Bible this morning. But three words for receive in the Greek language. I don't know how you pronounce them, but here's what I'm going to give it a shot. Haromai, it's passive. Someone gives it to you. It'd just be like if I just, you didn't have no option. I just came up, threw it in your lap. Boom, it's there. Second one is decamai, and that's when I come up to you and I just take it from you by force. But the third one, which is in this particular verse, is lumbano, and it literally means that it's yours, but you must be an active participant in receiving it. God is saying, here it is. It's already available through what Jesus has done, but you need to take hold of it by faith and begin to participate in your own transformation so that my work is fully manifested in you. Now, God's the only one that can do the work, but He wants our participation. Amen. So 1 Peter 1.11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the prophets were searching, what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. He's saying those prophets were looking because they knew about what was taking place and the glories that would follow the sufferings of Christ. They saw Jesus dying. They saw this moment coming and they saw the glories that would follow. Do you realize that we are living in the glories that follow? The prophets saw it. Joel looked at the glories that would follow and he said, You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit's poured out on one individual in an office, maybe a king, maybe a prophet, maybe a priest. I'm looking to a day when a man dies on a cross and his blood is shed and all of a sudden all the sins of these people are forgiven and the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters prophesy and your old men dream dreams and your young men see visions. And upon every single person the Spirit of God is poured out. It's not just an individual thing anymore. He saw the glories that would follow but people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't understand what Jesus has done for them and they fail to walk in the fullness of that. In verse 12 it says, To them it was revealed. So the prophets had an understanding it was revealed to them that not to themselves... But to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the prophets were writing about the fact that one day a dude like me would get up and preach about Jesus and they knew as they were saying it that they were saying it for your sake. They saw the grace that would come to you, the transformation that would be available to you. And I love what it says because he says... They do it by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice this. Things which angels desire to look into. They prophesied this for your benefit. And he says angels desire to look into these things. The only thing that I can think about when I, when I, when I think about angels desiring to look into it. And I, and I share this a lot. But it's, it's the Ark of the Covenant. If you put that picture up there, the Ark of the Covenant. You see that because this was the, this was the central piece 
in Israel's history. This is where the presence of God dwelt. And you all know the history that only one high priest could enter the presence of God once a year to sprinkle blood seven times on the mercy seat right between those two cherubim, between those two angels. Where are the angels looking? What do they desire to look into? They desire to look into the place where the blood is shed for the mercy and grace of human beings because that's where God would meet human beings, where that blood was shed and it was called the mercy seat. They love it when they desire to look into this covenant that God loved you and I who put poison in our bodies who take his name in vain who live for all kinds of other idols other than him but yet he loved us so much that he was willing to cover our sins and place them under the mercy seat and sprinkle his own blood give his own life so that no longer would his presence dwell in a box somewhere, but his presence would come and dwell in you and I who were filthy but cleansed and washed by his blood. And angels see that and they're shocked. Angels who are mightier in power. Angels who walk in more holiness and purity. When Lucifer fell, God didn't send his son. When you and I fell, God sent his son. There's something beautiful about that. Something about God's love for you. You see that Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I was reading this week just through the book of, book of John in my own personal study. And I really believe that as far as a revelation of Jesus actually goes, I think John probably had the greatest revelation of who Jesus was. He wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation. But at the end, when Jesus was about to die, if you remember, John was the one that was resting on Jesus' bosom, just hanging out, just laying on his chest. Everybody else making questions. When everything went bad, what happened? Peter denies him three times. Everybody else takes off running. There's one man that is standing at the cross with Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene. What is his name? His name is John. John's name means, it's Yohanin in the Hebrew, it means Yahweh is gracious or God's grace. He had an understanding of this grace that was in Jesus Christ. He knew how love, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew how much God loved him. It was a reality. When you know how much God loves you, you'll show up at the most difficult times. Because it's his love that strengthens you to carry on when everybody else is running away. Most people who fall away from the faith, they've not had a revelation of how much God loves them in Jesus Christ. And they need a fresh revelation of what that is. And in the Gospel of John, he had a revelation of Jesus. He said, Jesus revealed himself as, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. All these things, seven I am's. But one thing that I believe John saw, he, he presented Jesus as the new tabernacle. And here I want to show you why. Because if you put the whole tabernacle up there, in the old covenant, this is how they worshiped. And this is how they atoned for sins. When they came in, they'd come to the brazen altar where they would offer the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. Then they would go to the bronze laver. They would cleanse their hands, the priests would, before they could go into the holy place. And when they went into the holy place, they had to make sure that there was bread on the table of showbread, that there was oil in the lamp for the golden lampstand to burn, and then they had to offer incense at the altar of incense, which is representative of prayers, so that they could enter in once a year through that veil into the Holy of Holies to apply the blood for the sins of the nation. Now I want you to understand this because when John comes up on the scene, he says, you know what? We don't have that old tabernacle anymore. Jesus is the new tabernacle. And I want you to put that next slide up there. 
Jesus is the new tabernacle, and John reveals Jesus as the tabernacle because in John chapter 1, he reveals him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the bronze altar. In John chapter 3, he says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. And that washing, that cleansing of water, the Bible calls it the washing of regeneration, where you are born again by the Spirit of God. You're walking through this process of salvation. And then you enter into that holy place. That's your relationship with God. And Jesus fed five in John 6 he said I am the bread of life you want food that satisfies your physical body but you can get into the word of God and find food from me because I am the word of God that will satisfy your spiritual life and then they go over in John chapter 9 he tells a blind man I am the light of the world he's saying I am the menorah I'm the one that lit, lit up and then he goes in John 17 he offers up a high priestly prayer praying for you and I and that's the altar of incense that goes up and guess what the Bible says that we went through his flesh that was torn the veil of his flesh and when that veil tore from top to bottom it was symbolic of his body that was broken for you that veil was torn from top to bottom saying now you have access because I have paid the penalty and this is the most beautiful part in John 20 when Jesus rise, raise, is raised from the dead they go in and look at his tomb they access the glorified body of Jesus, and in the tomb, guess what? There's a cherubim sitting at each side the same way they would the Ark of the Covenant, saying that Jesus is the full manifestation of all of these things. And now he's given you access, and no longer does the presence of God dwell in a building somewhere. The presence of God dwells in those who realize they were sinners in need of a Savior, turned from sin, put faith in Jesus Christ, was washed by the blood, and were regenerated in the Spirit and born again, and now have a living, walking relationship with Jesus. And now they're accessing the presence of God because the presence of God is literally inside of them. That's a beautiful, a revelation of Jesus. The grace that has come to you and I. A fuller understanding. I, look, when I preach, I want you to leave here and say, man, you know what? I never realized Scripture was so good. I never realized Jesus was this beautiful. I want you to believe and be so fascinated with how much He loves you, how much He cares for you, and see that clearly. Now, given all that in mind, here's what He says. In verse 13, He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this. I like, that's why I like the New King James Version. They try to change the old language sometimes, sometimes, but on different things. I like a lot of different translations. But girding up the loins of your mind is the literal translation. And if they were going to gird up their loins, you know that loins, actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, it has to do with reproductive power. He's saying that your mind has the ability to reproduce. When you think negative thoughts, when you think self-defeating thoughts, when you think thoughts of condemnation, you, you, you reproduce these things in your life. And he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind and begin to think on Jesus and reproduce the truth of God's Word because the enemy is going to come and attack your mind because he does not want this grace activated in your life. He does not want you receiving an abundance of grace so that you know the love of Jesus for you and you reign in this life. He wants to keep you in a defeated mindset, a defeated attitude. He says, with all these things in mind, you need to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I do believe that he's saying you need to rest your hope fully at the grace that is going to be brought to you when Jesus shows up and returns. That, because they're...
through a hard time. Look, when, you, when you're being persecuted, put to death, you ain't got nothing to eat, whatever, you're looking forward to Jesus coming back. Anybody ever feel that way? I tell people all the time, you know what? I wouldn't mind if he came back right now. There's nothing else I got to do in this life except really just serve him and love the people around me the best that I can. I'm ready to go if he comes. I'm looking, my hope is fully in his return. But until he does come, I want to give you a second dimension of this verse because the Young's literal translation actually, I think, gives a better translation of this. And it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And notice this, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is being brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying that this, there's a present revelation that is currently being brought to you, a current grace that is being brought to you as you see Jesus more clearly. Every day when you get up and you open the Bible, you see Jesus more clearly. You, 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 you're worshiping God in your car. You get an image of Jesus. In you. When you start to see Jesus more clearly, there's a grace that is being brought to you in that moment that transforms who you are. And we continue in this revelation of Jesus. And I want you to know this, that the life of grace is an ongoing, transforming revelation of Jesus until we see Him fully and become fully like Him. The life of grace is not something you received 10 years ago when you said a sinner's prayer. The life of grace is ongoing because God is absolutely committed to making you like Jesus. He's absolutely committed to making you into a place where you fulfill the purposes of God on your life. It's not enough that you can say, I'm saved and go to church sometimes. He wants to make you like Him. He has a calling upon your life. And every time Jesus did a miracle, almost every time Jesus did a miracle, it was usually followed by a declaration of who He is. When He raised Lazarus from the dead, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. When He fed 5,000, He said, I am the bread of life. When He opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus, he said, I am the light of the world. My point is, is that you may be in a particular season in your life where you need a fresh revelation of Jesus, and Jesus will reveal himself to you at your point of need. As provider, as healer, as deliverer. Tammy gave me a call there the other day. You know, Jesus reveals himself in different ways. She came up last Sunday and she needed prayer because she got really sick not too long ago, y'all. Like, we thought we were going to lose her. We really did. And we prayed for her. And I, I, was, I was talking to Louie on the phone because she couldn't even speak, couldn't breathe. Her, 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 her oxygen was like at 60% or something like that. And I, I don't know all, all the lingo, but we prayed for her because she didn't, she didn't want to go back there talking about a lung transplant, all these things. We prayed for her. We believed God was going to show up. She went back to the doctor. They said, we cannot believe this. Your lungs are at 93% or whatever now. And Jesus, Jesus reveals himself in those moments. And you just sense his good. When, when she, she called me on the phone, or I, we talked about it on the phone. She told me that in that moment. I hung up with her. I'm just sitting there feeling the goodness of Jesus as he reveals himself to me a little bit more. And just says some... When you pray, just keep, keep believing. Keep believing for things that you have, have a hard time believing for. Because I want to move in your midst. Here's the last few verses. He says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Now here's what he's saying. Just like that song we sung, we're never going back this morning, right? What we're tempted to do when we don't have a revelation of Jesus is to go back to our former lusts and our ignorance when we didn't know Him. 
What's going to keep you from going back is not because you simply come to church on Sundays, as good as that is. What's going to keep you from not going back is because you have the Bible app on your phone, as good as that is. What's going to keep you from not going back is because you are receiving the grace of God that comes to you daily in a revelation of Jesus. You see Him. You know Him. He deals with your heart. He convicts you of sin. He helps you in your weakness. He strengthens you. You have a personal relationship with Him. And He says, as obedient children, don't go back to your former lusts in your ignorance, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And then the last verses, He says, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And I want to say this, folks. We love the grace of God and I thank God that we want to elevate God's love above everything else. But I need you to understand that in our generation, the church is being so enculturated by the world that they, they, they use the grace of God to not pursue holiness. And I need you to understand that God's grace always leads us into God's holiness. The people of God... When the grace of God is moving and working in their life, they, desire, they don't try to say, how much can we flirt with the world and be like the world and talk like the world? No, they start to live differently. Their relationships are different. Their sexual ethics are different. The way they think about how to love people and how to treat people are differently. They're, they're, they're willing to speak the truth even if it hurts sometimes in love. And holiness means that you live differently. Simply that. You're not going in the direction of this world but the grace of God is moving you to where you say you know what I want to be clean from that when I say tell a little lie I want to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit you know what I'm talking about when I have a lustful thought I want to I want the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say clay bring your mind back on things that are of God bring your mind back I want the purity and holiness of God the grace of God will always lead us into that and so the grace of God has appeared to every single one of us. It's available. And you need to know this morning, if you're here and you've not received that initial step of, man, I, I need to turn from sin, recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need Jesus to save my soul. I want eternal life. That's, that's, this grace is available to you. You can begin this journey with Him. Amen. I want you to bow your heads where you're at. Exactly where you are at right now is exactly where Jesus wants to meet you. And so if there's somebody here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the call of the Spirit of God on your life. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, if you've not had this realization, this revelation of His grace, Him dying for you on the cross, and you turning from sin to put faith in Him and believe for this salvation, if that's not happened in your life yet and now's the time, I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. As an act of faith, I'm going to lift my hand and say, I, I'm I want this. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I see a couple of hands over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. The two, the two that lifted their hands, I want you to pray right there where you're at at your seat. The rest of us, I want you to pray because there's grace that needs to come to you right where you're at in your situation even though you've been saved. So, Father, we open our hearts to you. And afresh, we confess our sin to you, Lord. Everything we've done, everything we failed to do. And we ask you right now to forgive us of that sin because we believe that you died on the cross for our sins and that on the third day you were raised again from the dead. And we believe 
that because you did that, we have eternal life and we have forgiveness of sins. And right now in this moment, I want you to just say it out of your mouth, Lord, we confess you as Lord of our lives. We give you our entire lives. We ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Change who we are from the inside out. And Lord God, give us a fresh revelation of who you are. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to know you. And so God, we thank you for the revelation that you're giving each of us right now. In Jesus' name.